Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have Nancy Warren. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And I was not able to be part of the interview this week. And we'll talk about that later. But uh, tell us about it, Sarah. What'd y'all talk about? Well, Nancy's been in publishing. She's been writing and publishing for 20 years. And so we talked a lot about like transitioning from Mm -hmm. being traditionally published into hybrid into indie. And she has tips on that. And her books, she writes, she loves to write humor. And we talked a lot about uh, comedy and writing funny things mm-hmm. and how like, kind of breaking that down. And um, it was just really good. And one of her things that we talked about was why she um, loves indie publishing. And her whole thing is like, it gives her freedom to do mm-hmm. things. And I, you know, that's for me, it gives me, I love the creative freedom. Mm-hmm. She describes how she loves how it lets her in non COVID times, move around the country or mm-hmm. the world and visit different places and live in different places. So mm-hmm. it was a very good interview. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And that kind of transitions into why I wasn't on the interview. <laughs> um, the Tuesday before last, um, my daughter and her son were gifted a trip to Disney for their five kids and two other people. And so they asked if, I would go and then the other grandmother go. And so in four days, we threw together a trip to Disney. (laughs) Um, My daughter's um, got quite a big Instagram following. So one of her Instagram followers uh, is a Disney planner and planned the whole thing for us. And so I was at Disney last week and um, it was amazing. And just be able to be able to be there with my family and my kids and stuff. And, you know, I mean, I, I debated, I was telling Sarah, I debated on whether to talk about this because, you know, a lot of people would see it as, oh, just an excuse not to write, which, you know, of course, I'm always looking for those. But um, <laughs> it, if this year has taught us nothing else, well, I mean, it's taught us a few things, you know, that you can never have too many streaming services um, right. that, you know, uh, Dry shampoo is a necessity, not not a luxury, and <laughs> and uh, the Zoom meetings are kind of like you know mullets, business on the top, party on the bottom, and that uh, Tiger King is an absolute shit show. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's taught us all those things, but it's We've also learned taught- so much this year. Yes, so much, <laughs> but it's also taught me that uh, you know, family is precious. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Um, and that, um, you know, I want to be able to spend time with family and um, be with them as much as I can. And so for me, I just didn't even think twice. And does that mean I'm going to have to do extra work? Yes, it does mean that. But it's worth it because I was able to have that time uh, with my grandchildren. And my, my um, oldest granddaughter is eight. Uh, my, my son and my son-in-law and daughter, they, they have uh, foster children. And so the oldest is eight and it was just such a magical, magical time to be with her during that week last week. And um, so, yeah, that's why I wasn't there. So I'm not, it really isn't an excuse not to write, but I guess what I'm saying is we all have to have our priorities. And for me, 
as I've said many times before, my family is my priority and I love writing and I love this job. And I love when I put out a book and, and the readers reactions and stuff. And I love my readers, but my family is my priority yeah. and um, always will be. So, well, I think you should feel zero worry yeah, or shame I don't, or anything I don't. because, you know, people are going a free trip to Disney. Yes, yeah. please. I'll, yes. I'll hop on that. Yeah. That, I know. that sounds great. I know. And <laughs> also I've dreamt an entire or dreamed. I never know uh, <laughs> I, an entire book. Like beginning to end, oh my goodness! The characters, the conflict, the uh, happily ever after—the whole thing. I've never done that before, so I wrote it all down while I was there, and it will probably be the fourth book in this um, series that I'm doing with the royalty, small town royalty. Yeah, so see, you so were it was, working. You were yeah, working even while even I was though. sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway, that's what was going on with me. What about you, Sarah? What's happening with you? Big stuff, I hear. Well, we're looking at houses. We may or may not move. So I will just leave that there (laughs) because the market is just crazy right now. Mm -hmm. But I thought earlier this week, I thought if it really is, sometimes I think it really is a miracle. I've even published one book, gotten one book written and published because there's just like so much going on. So in like there's big stuff going on in our life. But then it's just like all the little interruptions when you're trying to accomplish like one thing. So yeah, I did make it through and I got some things finished. I, and the cool thing I wanted to share was that um, I'm was working on the copy edits for my next historical Mm -hmm. mystery Mm -hmm. and I updated my Mac to the new operating system. So when you do that, I had this old, old version of word for, for Mac. Mm-hmm. And I just moved it from one Mac to another. So it was mm-hmm. like actually like a 2007 version. Yeah. So when you update, that stuff no longer works. Mm-hmm. So I have a new version that I could upload. And I thought, you know what? Let me just open it in pages and see what it looks like. Because mm-hmm. that's in the Mac thing. And it was so easy to use. I couldn't believe it. No, and it imports great. like all the comments, all the corrections. And it it the way, you know, it has a little sidebar. And I know you yeah. can do this in Word too, but... In pages, it has a little sidebar with all the corrections, and you just hover over a correction. And it has this little curved line that goes down and shows you where it is in the text. Yeah, and it's yeah. just it was just so much easier to to use mm-hmm. for me because I'm very visual. So I'll post a screenshot of that. Yeah, in the group. And then the other great thing about it was like I like to I go through and I look at each one, and then if you just highlight, let's say like you highlight three paragraphs mm-hmm. and right click and say accept changes, it accepts mm-hmm. them all. Mm-hmm. in that section and you don't have to yeah. go through one at a time and accept right. you know yeah. so for me that was great so i finally got through that and that's off to the next step that's awesome so, mm-hmm. yeah so that was really cool so if anybody has a mac you can in mm-hmm. i got the document it was a word document back from mm-hmm. the copy editor mm-hmm. but i just you can open it in pages and then you can export again into word because you know most people most editors and proofreaders like word right so, no, so I thought good. that was way cool. That is very cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, um, yeah. Speaking of the group, uh, tonight we are having a Zoom call with Sarah and myself uh, where we're going to answer your questions. So and it, will uh, be in, it will be on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And the link is we in the decided group. that we would, after it's over, we will post it in the group. So if mm-hmm. you can't be there, you can watch it later. Right, right. And so the link is in the group. So we should have known them for writers, Facebook group, and you can 
join us tonight or you can just watch the replay. Um, and then I guess that's it. Yeah. 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 So, so we will get to Nancy's interview and we will see y'all in a little bit. Yeah. All right. Well, today we're super excited to have Nancy Warren with us. Hi, Nancy. How are you doing? I'm awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We're excited to talk to you today. So today it's just me. Jamie had a, something come up and she can't make it, but we're going to press on and uh, talk about books and writing and being in publishing for the long haul, kind of. So um, let me read Nancy's bio and we'll jump right into the questions. Nancy Warren is USA Today bestselling author of more than 60 novels. Nancy is originally from Vancouver, Canada, but she tends to wander. She currently lives in an 18th century house in Bath, England, where she loves to pretend she's Jane Austen, or at least a character in an Austen novel, which I would totally want to do that. When she's not writing, she's hiking, skiing, traveling, or sipping, sipping wine. So that sounds great. How did you end up in an 18th century house in Bath? Well, uh, that's a little out of date, that bio. Oh. Um, first of all, I'm over 100 novels now. And because of the pandemic, I'm not actually in Bath right now. I am mm. in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, but I do live part of the year in Bath. And how that happened is I decided to take uh, a master's in creative writing and I wanted to do it in England. And I love, love, love mm -hmm. Bath. And so um, I went to Bath Spa University in 2016 and I lived in this proper Georgian manor house. You know, I just rented a flat there and I loved it so much that I actually bought a flat in um, Central Bath, which is, and it's, and it's like Georgia and it was built, it's one of the crescents and it was built in 1803. I think that I absolutely love it. That is awesome. I'm uh, completely jealous. <laughs> Sounds great. So tell us, how did you get into writing? As I I think I said to you before the podcast started that I am actually celebrating my 20th year in publishing in 2021. Um, so as you can imagine, back in the day, there was no indie publishing. I, there was no Kindle. You know, the world was a very different traditional place. And I had decided that I wanted to leave, leave the work that is you know, shoving you in a cubicle all day and you have no freedom and, and so few choices and in your own, you know, so, so little control over your destiny. And I had got a bit depressed and I was reading romance <laughs> and Harlequins. And I was in the middle of reading. I still remember it was a Jennifer Blake. It was a lush historical set in Louisiana. And I had that moment mm -hmm. that I could do this moment. I gave myself one year I joined RWA. I tried to learn my craft. It took me four years of very hard work, but I did finally break into Harlequin. And my kind of funny story is Harlequin still does, but then it really, really worked on lines. And I mm -hmm. submitted to Temptation because that was my favorite line. It was the one I read the most. Then they started Love and Laughter, which was romantic comedy, which of course is where my heart lies. So I was like, great. So I wrote another one and I had an editor that really liked me. And she kept passing these books up to Birgit Davis Todd, who was the senior editor at the time. And I think they were on Birgit's desk somewhere. So then the second one, she passes up and then they opened this brand new, it's so funny looking in the rear view mirror of 50 Shades <laughs> of Grey, but the super sexy line was Blaze. And it was so my wheelhouse, they were, they could be funny. They were contemporary, you know, sort of smart women, not the secretary that falls in love with the billionaire so much. Mm -hmm. And, um, and of course had, had quite a bit of sex in them. So they had a contest and I won the contest. 
So my very first sale to Harlequin, they bought my blaze, they bought my temptation and they bought my love and laughter. So I start, so I had a pretty good, you know, jumping off start. And then of course I had to keep writing books for three lines, which was actually super fun. Wow. That is impressive. And so I guess you learned early on how to be um, efficient and productive. If you were writing for three, were you turning in three books a year? No, I was turning in more like six books a year. And I come, I came out of the, uh, the newspaper business. So if there's one thing I know how to do, it's you meet a deadline and you know, you figure it out. Well, that is awesome. Well, um, what would you say is your definition of success and has it changed over time? I think it hasn't, you know, everything I just said to you about why I started writing is still true. I love being self-directed. I like that I can, you know, as you can see from my bio, I love to travel and I like to drop things and go um, when the mood takes me. And this job is actually a benefit because as you know, everywhere you go in the world, there's a story or, yeah. you know, an idea or you just get that well refilled and meet new people with new perspectives. And I think it's absolutely wonderful. So um, that to me is success is being able to, to set my own schedule and live my life on my terms. And um, yes, money is a big part of success, but it's, it's so not the number one. It's probably like, three, you know, for me or maybe. Yeah. 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 I think that's true that a lot of times we start off or I started off thinking about success is like, if I reach this certain income goal, but then as my career has gone on, I'm like, okay, so that's not the main reason I'm doing this. You know, if. if And here's the trouble with money goals, as you know, so you go, oh, if I could just make a hundred thousand dollars and then you get there and then you're like, okay, quarter of a million. And then next thing you're like seven figures, I've got you in my sights, you know? And I think yeah. it's very easy because the, as you know, the more successful you get, the more you become, you know, you start hanging around with more successful people again and, and you, and it's, and it's really easy to get sucked into that. So yeah. I think, you know, if anyone's looking for advice on this podcast, I think it's really important to know yourself. Those people that are making seven figures, are earning it and they work very, very, very hard. And they know things that, you know, I don't understand about data and advertising (laughs) and marketing. And um, so, you know, good for them, but you can kill yourself trying to be something that you're not and burn out. Yeah. And there's a lot of burnout going on right now. I think that a lot of people are experiencing it. So, but we're going to get into that in a little bit. We're going to talk about staying in the career for the like long-term longevity but um, for right now, let's focus on um, what do you wish you had known about writing or craft? I wish I had known then and still wish I knew now exactly how to use commas. I try and I try and I try and I always get it wrong. Thank goodness yeah. for good editors, because yeah. at some point I think you have to own this is probably knowledge I will never have. And, you know, who know, who has it? So I don't have to. So yeah. probably yeah. it's it's stuff like that. My my grammar, considering my degree is in English, my grammar is not as good as it could be. But I work really hard to find people that can fill in my my yeah. gap my gaps. Yeah, yeah. Because when you're being creative, you've got to. I mean, I have to kind of put the grammar aside and get the the scene down, and then you can go back in and fix all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about marketing? What do you wish you'd known about that? 
I still wish I understood marketing. Um, <laughs> I think what's so what's so hard, and again, I go back to you know the most successful people I know. Kind of, they either have there are a couple where you know one of them is like the data person. Usually, it's the guy that's the data person, and she's like the writer, and it's just a marriage literally made in heaven. <laughs> or there are these wonderful people who have those kind of both sides of their brain are equally strong. I am. I feel like whichever is the creative side of mine is like a melon, and my my practical side is like a dried lentil. And so <laughs> I just really wish I understood, I understood marketing. So, you know, what I have learned, I think is you can only do what you can do. And I keep trying and I keep learning. And I am currently taking Sky Warren's Facebook ads course for the third time, hoping I'll <laughs> finally get it. And, you know, I try to work on AMS ads, but for me, what has worked out the best is I still release a lot of books in a year. Writing is the thing that I do the best and the thing I protect the most. And um, I have, I'm very social and I like people. And so starting this Facebook readers group has really been, you know, I mean, it's not like going to, you know, change my world or anything, but it's the place where I interact with readers and that Mm -hmm. I'm good at. So I think Mm -hmm. partly for me, it's been figuring out what I am good at. And yeah, I'd like to be better at the things I'm not good at. And I've tried hiring people to do ads. And my experience is no one knows your books like you do. So at some point, unfortunately, I think I've had to bring that back in house. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I have people that help me with it. But at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, it's, it's still on me. I can't yeah. even remember what your question was. No, I've rambled so long, but um, it was something about marketing and I'm really yeah. not very good at it. No, well, that's good because I feel like, I think if you, like you said, you release a lot of books and that in itself is a form of marketing because there's always, an, if there's always a new book coming out or one on the horizon, that lets, that does its own kind of magic thing to pull readers in, I think. So I think that's really smart. Yeah. I think so. And, and you know, the best, as we all know, the best, very best marketing is when someone says to their friend, oh, you got to try this series. Yeah. And if you write long series, and I know we're going to talk about that later, if you write long series, once you have them, I find by book two, sometimes mm-hmm. people are like, I'll try book one, it's only 99 cents. And like, oh, not for me. If I get them to book two, I've got them. And yeah. so I more and more I'm thinking about how what is the organic reach and how can I improve that because that's what I think I'm good at Facebook ads you know AMS ads that stuff is hard yeah. and it changes all the time it yeah. never gets easy yeah that's what I was going to say it's a constant learning curve some things like you can learn and then you're good but that one you've always got to be tweaking and checking so I'm with you I'd rather just write the next book <laughs> so, yeah. Well, what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career and looking back, were they right or wrong? My assumptions when I started my career, and we have to go back and remember that my I sold my book in the year 2000. My first book came out in 2001. My assumption was that I would be able to build that career, you know, within Harlequin. I looked at people that had, mm-hmm. you know, Nora Roberts is, one, is the most shining example. People that started mm-hmm. out with Harlequin and built out and built these wonderful careers. And I thought that mm-hmm. I was on that path. And then what began to happen was, you know, disruption. The industry mm-hmm. began to change so fast and so crazily. And and I was still employed by Harlequin and Kensington. And I was so grateful. But in retrospect, the people that are killing it now are the ones that like lost contracts and, you know, they got fired mm-hmm. from or they couldn't <laughs> break into publishing. And <laughs> 
department. So yeah. it weirdly, I think, you know, my, my success sort of worked against me there because I was, yeah. you know, I was loyal and I was safe. And if I could do anything differently, it would have been to jump sooner, obviously into indie publishing yeah. and, and really embrace it and understand it. But yeah. hey, hindsight, yeah. I'm know. still here. I know we have kind of the same thing because my first book came out in 2006. And so uh, I do remember I was writing in cozies and those kind of took a nosedive and a bunch of people lost their contracts and, and it was like, everyone was kind of in mourning and it was so sad. And I look back now and I go, a lot of those people, they had five, six books that they owned and they put them up and they, you know, exploded in indie publishing. So sometimes, you know, what you think is terrible may not be that terrible, but at the time, you know, that was all we knew was yes. you know, traditional publishing. So, yeah. Well, have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? Have I ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? I've made so many mistakes. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I think when I decided to finally try indie publishing, I still had option. I still had option clauses on, mm-hmm. um, uh, Harlequin owned my option for category romance and I think it was Kensington owned, uh, had an option on my next single title romance. And the mistake is nobody was obeying their option, you know, clauses. People were just <laughs> going and writing romance and, you know, yeah. making tons of money. And I was like, Oh, that, I can't do, you know, I'm Canadian, right. We don't break rules. I'm like, Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> so I wrote a mystery. Cause I was like, well, they don't have an option on mystery and I love mystery. And, and so in a way it was a mistake because I totally would have got away with it if I'd continued with mm-hmm. um, right, romance. But of course, that's what started my mystery career. And mm-hmm. I love writing mystery and mm-hmm. I now 90% mystery and 10% romance and super happy with that. So. Yeah, that's, yeah, I can totally see that. I had the same issue because when I went indie, all my stuff was traditionally published and I didn't own any of the books, any of the IP. And so I essentially did this, what you did. I just started over with a new series in still in mystery, but yeah. And sometimes you have to do that. So do you have, um, any advice for people who are traditionally published now and would like to go indie? Any? Um... Well, I think if you're traditionally published now, I think my advice would be look very carefully before you leap because there's a lot that's good about being traditionally published. You know, it's really easy to say, oh, you don't make any mm-hmm. money and, you know, <laughs> they get everything and you get nothing. But as someone who's been on both sides of the fence, and I know you will, I know I can see you nodding there, <laughs> is imagine all you had to do was write a manuscript. Imagine you didn't care about Facebook ads or AMS ads. You didn't have to hire an editor. You didn't have to hire a cover designer. You didn't have to go back and forth, you know, a hundred times perfecting and hoping that you were right about your choice of cover and all those other things. I feel like right now I'm maybe 25% of my day is writing and the rest is, is administration and, and just the business. And if someone else took that, I would totally, I would, if any (laughs) traditional publisher out there right now, I would seriously (laughs) consider, you know, the right um, traditional contract, I think, you know, maybe being hybrid. So, Mm But, but that wasn't your question. So, but if you're like, okay, I'm not really happy where I am. I don't get treated very well. I want to go indie. I would just say, do it. Take the leap. The very worst thing that can happen to you is you flop and you go back to your traditional Mm -hmm. publisher. So what? 
This, the, yeah. you know, indie publishing, what's so wonderful about it is, is we endlessly reinvent ourselves. The business mm-hmm. churns around and changes every minute. And so there's room for everybody. So, yeah. you know, if you're remotely entrepreneurial and you don't mind doing all that extra work and it's a lot, mm-hmm. give it a try. Try it under a different name. Your yeah. traditional publisher doesn't have to know. Yeah. Yeah. Very good advice. Yeah. Well, okay. So going back to the mistakes questions that we'd like to ask, have you ever had the opposite where you thought something was like a super great, brilliant idea and then it turned out to be not so great? And we all have these things where we're like, this is going to be wonderful in the next kind of flops. Um, well, maybe Tony Diamond may, maybe is that project because that was, we, 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 I don't know if you were at the RWA and I can't even remember what year it was. It was around like maybe 2006, 2005, somewhere in there. It was in Dallas and we got double booked with Mary Kay. And were you at that conference? It was no. insane because of course we were like, it, yeah. right. We're like 2000, RWA was like 2000 women all dressed up, you know, mostly a bunch of introverts trying to pretend they're extroverts. Very, <laughs> very, 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 you know, jittery energy. And then income, probably 5,000 Mary Kay people also all dressed up all yeah. very much like us, except super more extroverted. And what happened was you, you get these these crazy stories. Literally, I think I was offered to make over a hundred times, and 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 there were these stories of people like someone yelling at you know a Mary Kay lady yelling at a romance writer saying you're not allowed to wear open toed shoes because we were all getting mixed up. And I thought, oh my god, there's such a good mystery here. And so that's where Tony Diamond actually came from. I you know she's brash, she's pushy, she's essentially Mary Kay lady. And then I set her in a mystery writing conference and, you know, that was, yeah. and that was the genesis. And she's such a fun because she's so hideous. She's such a fun sleuth. And um, what did, what, what was the, I'm so sorry. What was the question again? Oh, it was like, does you start out with something that you thought was great and then maybe it wasn't so good later on? Oh, yeah. So at that point, I, my agent, I was, you know, in that one, I was trying to, trying to um, publish traditionally and I sent it to my agent and the, I met with one of those agencies where they, workshop your book and you know a bunch of people in the agency read it and I kept getting comments and I rewrote that book I don't know two or three times Mm -hmm. and then they sent it out and this was probably probably 2008 2009 when it went out on submission well of course that was a very dark time in the world Mm -hmm. and it didn't sell and I was crushed because I thought it was such a good book my agent thought it was such a good book And that was one of those things that seemed such a mistake. I'd spent all this time. I'd gone into a genre, you know, that was new for me. And of course, that's really what launched my indie career. When I finally had the courage to put it out, you know, for those, for those times and what I knew it did really well. And now I'm, you know, all these years later, my career is nearly all mystery. So I think it was a, seemed like a bad thing. It turned out to be a really good thing. Because if I was traditionally published, they would let me do one book a year. Yeah. Um, it would be very, very different. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, uh, going off of the um, the conflict at the conference and kind of the humor in that, your books seem to have a lot of humor in them and you like writing uh, funny, humorous situations and things like that. So do you have any tips for writing uh, humor or including that in your books? Like one of your series is the uh, Vampire Knitting Club. And I just love that title because you know that it's, not going to be a dark, serious series. So my vampires are not very nasty. No, <laughs> <laughs> they're cuddly vampires. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think 
<clears throat> excuse me, I'm just gonna take some water. Yeah, I think um, the thing with humor, it's the unexpected, isn't it? What makes you laugh? You know, you're like, you go, you, you set your reader up and you're going and you're going on a path. And then we all, we're, we make, we make connections in our mind and we see patterns and you think, oh, it's going to go there. And then when you send it there, we surprise somebody and we make them laugh. And one of the ways we do that is, is, um, you know, quirky people. So, you know, Tony Dime is a really good example because she's so larger than life, mm-hmm. but we, most of us have come across someone who's in those, those kind of, you know, direct sales, pyramid type direct sales, and we know what they're like. And so you immediately, I think you get on board with her because you understand, but I've also given her this sort of weird um, intelligence. And even as she's trying to push herself into your house and, you know, give you a makeover or, or get you to be one of her, one of her salespeople, her eyes are always searching out and, and she's, she's putting things together. Um, so I think she's funny because she's just so unlikely. And mm-hmm. then I think also with humor, it's like, it's sort of putting things together that don't seem like they belong. So as you said, like just the vampire knitting club, um, I, and I came up with this idea quite a long time ago. And it was when I was watching true blood on TV, you know, from those mm-hmm. wonderful Charlene Harris novels. And at the same time, the biggest best-selling book at the time was the Friday night knitting club. And it was around the time. And I can't even remember what year we're talking that mashups were really big. And the Mm -hmm. biggest horror in my, in my world is that someone wrote pride and prejudice and zombies and, you know, took my beloved Jane Austen and put horror in it. But, (laughs) and that was a big hit at that time. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden mashup that I'd never even heard of mashup was a thing. And here's where indie is so very, very fun. Nobody in traditional pub. In fact, I even talked to my, to my editor at the time about the vampire knitting club and I didn't really know what it was. And she was like, yeah, cute title. I don't know what that is. You know, <laughs> no, we don't want it. And so I put it aside. And then of course, when paranormal cozy started being quite popular, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's what it is. It's paranormal cozy. And so I was living in Oxford at the time and and anyway, that doesn't matter, but, but it was, I think immediately you go, oh, it's a knitting club. It's, I know what that is. It's a knitting shop. It's set in Oxford. I immediately have a mental picture and now you've got vampires in the basement. So you've immediately set up these extremely unlikely things. And you already know, I don't, you don't have to read the book to know every time these two bump into each other, there's opportunities for humor. So yes. I think, and I, I think when you're writing humor, it has to come from, who are your characters? Your characters always have to be true to themselves mm-hmm. and forcing it. Readers are, you know, humor is so hard when it's forced. Readers, readers don't think that's funny, yeah. you know? So that, and so that's where I go back to Tony Diamond again, because she's so easy because you immediately know this is what she's going to do. She's not going to take a backseat. doesn't matter if mm-hmm. she's told not to, she's always going to push forward because she can't help herself. It's in her mm-hmm. nature. And so a lot of, a lot of humor then comes from pitting people who are very different from that and sort of, you know, just twisting it. And, and I love wordplay. I love puns. I love playing with language. And I think that's the other place maybe where my humor comes. Yeah. Well, so do you have a lot of the humor in your, uh, I've heard of some people who write a draft and then they go back and they add in and make it funnier and they, or do you just like include it as you go along and it may depend on your, 
writing. <laughs> I can't help myself when I did my, when I did my master's, I went into it thinking, okay, you know, I have a career doing, you know, these wacky cozy mysteries and, uh, you know, I've done all this romance. I'm going to write a serious literary fiction novel. And that's what I went in <laughs> to do. And, uh, and they're all very serious people, of course, you know, yes. in the UK and the, and our, our tutors tended to be very, very well-known um, literary fiction personalities. And I kept trying. And every time I would end up doing something silly and making it funny, I, that's just how I see the world. Yeah. And yeah. So I discovered that I'm probably never going to write a serious literary fiction. I think that's okay though. I think it's okay. Yeah. This reminds me, we interviewed um, H. Claire Taylor and she'd said the same thing. She was, I can't remember if she was getting an MFA. She was in school at the university and um, they were like, what is this humor in this? And she was like, I don't know, a little bit of joy in your day. And they were just not into it. So very common that uh, that's not well received, I guess. So. I know it's a shame, isn't it? And I yeah. felt like, you know, the worst thing they could say is, Oh, it's a bit Mills and Boone. Oh, so yeah, I, I um, I had, I didn't fit all that well. Yeah, <laughs> but it was, but, that was a great year. But yeah, but it is interesting because readers love humor. They love comedy. They love light. They like to read light things. That's my books are lighthearted, and they're you know, there's a little disconnect between what is seen as worthwhile you know, in some people's eyes and what people really enjoy reading. So anyway, that's a long tangent we could go off on. <laughs> but, and I, uh, and I agree with you so much. And especially, I think one of the things this pandemic has taught me is that, well, I think I knew it before, but you know, when, when I used to write for Harlequin, we would get these letters and we, you get letters from people that are like, you know what? My husband was dying. I'm sitting by his mm -hmm. bed. Thank you for this novel. It yeah. gave me three hours of pleasure in a dark time. And certainly while we're in this pandemic, we are doing a great service to people who are stuck home. They're tired of Netflix. There's nothing left. Mm -hmm. You know, you get your Kindle out and there's this whole world of delightful stories. And frankly, it saved me. Do you think yeah, I'd rather yeah. be in Oxford, you know, knitting with a bunch of vampires or like looking out the window at the real world? You know, there's, yeah. it's a, yeah. it's my happy place. I know. Um, yeah. Yeah. There are many days when I'm like, I see the news and then I think, okay, I'm just going to go into my little fictional world and, it's so much nicer in here. So yeah, it's an escape for me too. So, and we get yeah. to control the outcome. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Vampire Knitting Club is a long series. So I wanted to ask you about um, writing a long series. Did you plan it out? Um, and how you have propelled it? It's like 13 books, right? Right now? 13, book 13 is coming out in May. Yeah. Um, so I'm not much of a planner, to be honest with you, which has probably been, uh, my, you know, when I first started writing mystery, that was sort of one of my stumbling blocks, because you really do need to plot a mystery to a certain level, yeah. right? And I when yeah. I read that, that Agatha Christie didn't always know who did it, mm -hmm. until she got to the end, that was a real light bulb moment for me, because that happens to me too. I think it's I think yeah. it's, you know, the butler, and then it turns out, oh, no, it was the neighbor. And yeah. yet somewhere in my subconscious, I had planted those clues. I hadn't even seen it coming. And I figured yeah. I don't see it coming. The reader won't see it coming. And the same mm -hmm. holds true for planning a long series. When I started it, I, that's the first time I ever did rapid release. And I put out the first three Vampire Knitting Club books within, I think, five weeks. 
And my thought was it's either going to work or it isn't. And when you do rapid release, the nice thing about it is you very quickly know if it's going to work or not. And, you know, I knew, I knew by the time the third one came out that this, this had legs. So, um, you know, kind of goes back to what I was saying before, when you've got these characters that always act in a certain way. Um, and you know, I'm no fool. I come out of romance. I set up a love triangle. So I had, you know, the cop who's completely human and has, has no idea, has no imagination about this other stuff that's going on. And I've got the, you know, tall, dark, sexy vampire. And then my sort of, you know, a a little bit young and a, a bit of an ingenue. She's, just discovering she's got witch powers. You know, these are all very, very common tropes in mystery and in, in, in paranormal mystery. And mm-hmm. then it was having them always, always act a certain way. And of course it's this, you know, small neighborhood because the shop yeah. is set in a little, little street, Harrington street, little shops in Oxford is all about the universities and the wonderful, mm-hmm. um, you know, the dark alleys. And there actually are tunnels that go under, under Oxford that, um, that that they were using in the middle ages. And so it was really easy to go, well, that's where the vampires live. And so what I've really done is as I'm writing one book, I'm usually starting to think, okay, you know, there's, this happens in the bookstore. And what if the gal that works in the bookstore, who's in love with her boss decides to use a love potion well, of course, you know, it's all going to go wrong. And so then, you know, the witches get involved with the love potions and now the vampires are involved, you know, trying to help with some other aspect. And I use my vampires like, um, like the Baker Street Irregulars, like Sherlock Holmes, Baker Street Irregulars. So they don't, they never drive the plot, but they're vampires. They're out at night. They've got super sensitive hearing and sight and they bring back all these clues. And Mm -hmm. so, um, and so from book to book, What's so lovely, as you know about a long series, is you're always deepening your 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 main characters. The relationships get stronger, and I'm I'm currently as part of my pandemic watching. I'm watching Doc Martin, um, mm-hmm. which is went like ten years or something. It's set in Cornwall, and it's this court. And I mean, it's a very simple concept. You know, the guy, the the doctor from London, the surgeon from London, who comes to be village doctor in this quirky little village in Cornwall. But every show, you're building a bigger relationship with this wonderful cast of these wacky, wacky Mm -hmm. people. And that's what I do. So um, every murder mystery is complete unto itself, but there's all these threads, you know, like a piece of knitting, all these (laughs) threads that, that, you know, spread out and, and the pattern grows. And so the arc is generally my which learning a bit more about her powers, stepping into herself a little more, you know, what's going to happen with the romance and then a self-contained mystery so that yeah. it's not, I never set out and I went, this will be book one, book two, book three, and it'll go to book 20 and then it'll be done. It was always, you know, I see a little bit ahead. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably pull out the next book when I finish this one. And then, you know, then we'll just see. And yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like it's kind of organic. It comes from the characters and what they're experiencing. And then that you kind of follow that trail into the next book. hundred percent. I could have said that way quicker. Yeah. (laughs) It's organic. (laughs) No, no, I'm just like trying to figure out, trying to summarize. So yeah, because that's very, I think that's, I think with a mystery, it's easy to be focused on the, or for me, it's easy to be focused on the plot and getting the mystery right. 
And then I think what readers are reading for is that long, I mean, they like the mystery, but they also really enjoy the the long thread of the characters. So I have to ask, did you resolve the love triangle or is it still ongoing? Uh book 13 uh, is Getting supposed close. to be a wedding. So okay. we'll have to, to be, see. we'll have There's to see. a little hint for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, we did want to touch too on just like um, writing through all the changes in publishing because like you've been traditional, you're now indie and you know, publishing is like, there's all these ups and downs of things that we really can't control. So, um, you know, what advice or tips or what do you wish you had known about just being a long-term author? I think you can't take it too seriously. <clears throat> what feels true now, <coughs> excuse me, won't be true in a month or a year from now. Um, you have to look after yourself. The only thing that you and I bring to our work that every other, that any other person on the planet could not bring to our work is our sensibility, our creativity, our vision of the world. That's the one thing that only I can do in my business as much as I can. And, you know, as I've got a little bit more successful and I can afford to do it, I hire people who are better at those things than I am. So self-care is super important. And, and I am, I love indie publishing for so many, many reasons, but what I really worry about, and I, and I, I think there are a lot of people out there who will tell beginning writers things that are, in my opinion, not true. And I would say before you take any advice, look at the person who's giving it. Do they have something to gain? Are they trying to sell you a course? Um, things like no one can tell you what to do about your book, write what, write one draft and put it out because it's your vision. And I am like, that is so wrong on every level. And I just feel for these poor people who are thinking that that's okay. And it's like, you know, like thinking you're going to win the Olympics in swimming and you mm-hmm. jump into a swimming pool and you don't know how to swim yet. You're more mm-hmm. likely to drown. And so I think, yeah please take the time to learn your craft and learn from people who know better than you. You know, Sarah has a great course on her website about writing the cozy mystery. Learn from the people who know what they're doing and take your time, send it out to beta readers, get an editor, learn grammar, or, you know, if you struggle with it, understand that you struggle with it and get a really good editor who's good at that kind of thing. So I think that's my advice and everything else will come and particularly indie it's endlessly fluid. If you screw it up and you get the wrong cover, oh, well, get a new cover, you know? So I think don't expect, you know, and there are way too many of these success stories, you know, on these websites that are like, oh, you know, I put out my first book and my second book and now I made a million dollars. Well, good for you. Maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. We can't check, but every path is different. And, you know, this should be a long-term career. I hope it will be for all of us and yeah. have fun with it, right? Yeah. Do what you yeah. love. I mean, if you don't love it, if you don't love writing, this is not a get rich quick scheme. Yeah. This yeah. writing gig, it is hard work and it's long-term and you'll, you know, you'll make mistakes and you'll have joyous days and days when you can't write. And every day you get up and you start over again. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot easier ways to make money. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think is the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success? I think, I think having an English degree really helped being a reader, being an avid, avid, passionate reader and reading widely really helps. Um, taking the time to learn your craft, you know, I mean, I was so lucky in some ways, RWA is, it was, and I think still is a wonderful organization, even if you don't write mystery for, you know, you can, you can buy um, their audio recordings from their conferences about how to plot a mystery, how to write humor, how to do suspense, whatever is your thing, how to do Amazon ads. So I think, you know, that was really good being learning from people who, and I still do. I have mentors who know so much more than I do listening to people who know more than you do and um, making sure. And I'm really bad at this. I mean, I'm sitting here in a back brace because my back is so bad from all these years of sitting. So I'm the worst person to <laughs> give this advice, but I think, you know, self-care is so important. Getting out for your exercise every day, eat sensibly, all those good things. <clears throat> if you want to have a long career, yeah, kind of what you have to do. And I think just, you know, I love what I do. And that's been, that's been the best thing. And even when I have a bad day, would I rather have a bad day in the tunnels of Oxford with my delicious vampires that I love and adore? Or would I rather, you know, be ringing up groceries at Walmart? I know. Well, I know, what I know. So I just get yeah. up every day and do it. And I'm so lucky. I know. I agree. I had a friend that said, um, even the worst writing day is better than the best pharmacy rep day. Cause that was, I she know. Was. And, and I, I by like, the yes, way, I agree. I'm so grateful to the women who, and the men who are bringing up food at Walmart, by the way, that I didn't mean that in any way negatively, but you know, like we all have to find joy in what we do. Right. So right. Yeah, yeah, I feel very, very, very blessed to have had this long career and still look forward and plan to go on yeah. as long as I my poor little fingers can still type. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is awesome. So thanks for joining us today. Can you tell everybody where they can find out more about you and your books? I would be delighted to. So uh, my website is nancywarrenauthor.com. And if you like the Vampire Knitting Club or any of my books, my Facebook group, I'm there most days. It's um, Nancy Warren's Knitwits on Facebook. That is an awesome title for those groups. Well, this has been fun, and I think that there's a lot of good information in here for people. So I think it'll be great, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening today, and thanks to Alexa Larberg for editing and producing the show. And you can find all the links at wishidknownthenpodcast.com, and we'll see everybody next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.